Our scripture is indeed from uh, selections from the 16th chapter of the book of Leviticus. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place, behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area, with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred tunic, linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull of his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands On the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or an alien living among you, because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when you hear all those things read, goats and bulls and blood, and you just think, what does that have to do with us? It just sounds so strange, so foreign. It, it, this is the best it gets in the book of Leviticus, and it still seems that weird. That, that's just removed from reality. No. All, all of this book and all of the words we just heard read were written for people who are ready to give up. 
as weird as it all may have sounded, as strange and distant and foreign and ancient as it seemed, is written for people who, who feel like I should just give up because I've blown it before I even got started. One of the times we were living in St. Louis, Mark McGuire was, you know, chasing down the home run record. Of course, we learned afterwards that it was all tainted. Um, but at the time, everybody's really excited. And so I, I got to go to a game one night with a friend, and we were so excited because, like, you know, maybe, maybe he's going to hit a home run and I'd be one step closer to that record moment of history. Like, everybody's pumped. The Cardinals were doing terribly that year. So it was the only thing you had to cheer for. It was like, just go watch McGuire hit a home run. So he comes up to bat, his first at bat, Everybody's standing on their feet, cheering, shouting. Pitcher throws a ball. It's right on the borderline. Called a strike. McGuire gets all huffy. He gets up in the umpire's face, and he's tossed. (laughs) Doesn't even get to finish his first at-bat. 45,000 people who came just to see him (laughs) do this incredible thing. Because he gets in the face and offends the majesty of the umpire. He's gone. Might as well just go home. Right? Just quit. Just, it's over. The Israelites were feeling the same way when the book of Leviticus is given to them. At the very end of the book makes it clear that they're still camped at the foot of Mount Sinai when they receive these words from God. And, um, you know, the same Mount Sinai that Moses had gone up to get the Ten Commandments from God, the same Mount Sinai that Moses was on the way back down from when he heard this sort of blaring music and sort of chanting, and and, and he goes down and he sees that it's this worship of a, a golden cow. And it's accompanied by, let's just say, a the, your translation says revelry. Well, revelry while you're naked is the kind of revelry that it means. So here is a pagan worship festival happening at the foot of Mount Sinai. Before they've even heard what the commandments are to keep, they're already breaking them all. Right? They're not even through their first at-bat And they have offended God. And he's got this great purpose, this great thing they're supposed to be doing. A nation of priests, a holy nation, representing me to the whole world. We might as well just give up. Because we're done before we even got started. That's what the book of Leviticus is for. For people who are done before they get started. When you feel like you're done before you get started, here's what your heart does. It says, I'm going to give up. And then the only thing you've got to choose is which way you're going to give up. Am I going to give up by just walking away? I'm just going to quit. I'm done. I'm done with this God thing. I'm just walking away from Him. I don't care how long I've been doing it. I'm done with it. I'm, I'm walking away. I'm done with this trying to be a married guy thing. I'm gone. I'm done with this trying to be a faithful wife. I'm just out of here. Forget it. I'm done with this parenting thing. 
You can walk away or you can fake it. I'm done, but I'm going to go through the motions. I'll go through the motions of being a Christian. I'll go through the motions of loving God. I'll, I'll show up on Sunday morning and I'll say the words and I'll even, you know, mouth the words to the songs a little bit, but I'm just kind of checked out. I've given up. I haven't walked away, but I've, I've, I've given up. So when you feel like you're done before you got started and you want to give up, Leviticus is your book. And chapter 16 of Leviticus is your chapter. Because this is where God says, don't give up. Don't give up. I will make a way for this relationship to work. Do not give up. I want to walk us through some highlights. Now, can you imagine in 15 minutes or less trying to help somebody who didn't know Western culture understand why we do all the stuff we do at a wedding? Good luck. Like, you're, you're going to need a few weeks to explain all the, why is she wearing that color? Why do they all have matching dresses? Like, are they getting married too? <laughs> you know? Why are some people sitting over here and some are sitting over there? Okay, it's all those rituals. Everyone has meaning. And it would take a long time to explain them all. Same thing with Leviticus 16. The more detailed the ritual, the more significant the moment. Well, we just don't have time to explain all the details. We'll hit some highlights. So here's the first thing we want to highlight. God is saying to us, don't give up because I will make a way for you to know me. Right? The, the first couple verses that Jim read for us. God says this to um, Moses. Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place. Holy of holies is how you're maybe accustomed to hearing that described. The most holy place. Behind the curtain, in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, because that's where I appear. Okay, we read that, it sounds like, is this Indiana Jones movie kind of thing? No, this is God saying, I want you to know me, so I am going to accommodate my revelation of myself to realities that make sense in your culture. You are a people who live in tents, so guess what? I'm going to live in a tent. You know what it's like to be surrounded by nations that have kings, kings who protect the people, kings who provide for the people, kings who establish justice and see that justice is upheld so that the lives of their people can flourish. So, and those kings live in palaces that are tent palaces. They're, they're fancy tents. So I'm going to live in a fancy tent called a tabernacle. And the size of it would be roughly the size of this room, not quite these same dimensions, uh, you know, a screen around the tent and in the middle, a tent about the size of this platform. And um, over here, the drums are in the Holy of Holies. There's a curtain here. And... And, and like every king who lived among a tent-dwelling people in his palace tent, he has a throne room. And it's the most sacred room in his palace tent. And his throne is there, and he sits on his throne. 
So what is God doing? He's saying, build me something to represent my throne. It's this ark, this box covered with gold with these four angels spreading their wings over the top of it. Build me that. That won't be my throne. That will be my footstool. And I will sit. Sit? Do I have a body? No, I'm not that kind of king. I'm bigger than any king you know. But I'm using these symbols that make sense to you and your culture to tell you what I'm like. I want you to know me. I will make a way for you to know that I am greater than every king you've ever heard about. And no king in your world will let people just willy-nilly trot into the throne room whenever they want to. So tell Aaron he can't do that. He can't just run into my throne room whenever he feels like it. He can't just pop into the White House and say, I decided to use the back entrance today. Is that all right? Yes, all right. (laughs) You might die. Well, it's the same idea. Tell Aaron not to do that. He might die. Because I'm at work teaching you, and I want you to know me. I want you to know that I am the greatest life-giving, protecting, justice-establishing king you've ever thought of. When you think of king, you're thinking of something that's not even on the radar of my greatness. But I want to use these symbols that you understand to make myself known to you. I want you to know me. I want this relationship to work. It is not over before it gets started. We live in a world where people have a great deal of skepticism about the possibility of knowing God. And, and, and that skepticism is in some ways justified because it usually sounds like humility, right? It says, but we're so limited, how could we possibly understand Him? We're so fragile and frail and feeble and, and, and wicked, <laughs> How could people like us ever begin to know him and to know him in any way that's trustworthy or reliable? Those are great questions. But they usually leave out a possibility. What if he took the first step? What if he said, you don't have to get to know me based on your resources. I will come toward you and I will speak your language. And if you're a tent people, we will speak the language of tent. And if you're a Hebrew-speaking people, we will write our words in Hebrew. And if you're an English-speaking people, we will translate those words into every language on the face of this planet. If you're a Costa Rican person, we will use Costa Rica. We will speak Spanish. I will come to you We're not giving up on this thing. Don't give up. You do not have what it takes to know me, but I have what it takes to make myself known to you. That's what Leviticus is saying. When it talks about not eating catfish, that's what it's saying. (laughs) Really? Don't eat catfish? Yeah, it's God's way of saying, you know what, there are some fish that have scales and there are some creatures in the ocean that don't have scales and there's a boundary being crossed there. And I want to teach you that I am a God that wants you to learn how to observe certain boundaries. There's a boundary between me and every created thing and you must maintain that boundary. 
there is a boundary between worshiping me and worshiping every other so-called God, and you must maintain that boundary. There is a boundary between sex that makes life flourish and sex that just robs joy and life and leads to misery and death, and you must maintain that boundary. There's a boundary between what's yours and what's your neighbor's. Don't take your neighbor's stuff. You've got to maintain those boundaries. And so if I have to use fish to teach you that lesson, I will use the fish. Because I want you to know me. I will speak the language of tent. I will speak the language of fish. I will speak whatever language it takes so that you can know me. So don't give up. I will even speak the language of evil. If you are people who do evil, I will speak that language. I will make a way to cleanse you from all the evil things you've ever done. That's what the rest of this ritual is all about, right? Why do we need to be cleansed? Well, verse 16 says it. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. We're good at getting things wrong in a whole spectrum of ways. And this word here, uncleanness, would include things like, I had touched a dead animal's body. I didn't know that I did it. And then I came into the tabernacle to worship while I had been... Un- and that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. that. I broke the rules. But I had no clue I was doing it. That word uncleanness would include little wrong things you did without even realizing it. And then that word rebellion, that includes the fist in God's face. The the, the Old Testament calls it a high-handed sin. I looked God in the eye and said, I don't care what you want, I'm doing my own thing. And I don't care that you have warned me that there is no sacrifice I could bring to your tabernacle that would cover that kind of sin. I'm doing it anyway. And God says, on this one day of the year, day of atonement, the priest will bring offerings that will wipe it all away. Even the sin that's so rebellious that there's nothing that ordinarily could touch it on that day, I will make a way to cleanse you. I want to look you in the face, right? I can't look all of you in the face right now the way I would like to, right? To get up close and to put my hand under your chin and to look you in the eye and say, my experience tells me that there are people in this room who think it is too late for me. There is nothing God could do. I should just fake it or just walk away but he is never going to be able to cleanse me because you don't know what I've done. The, the three categories that I hear the, that in my experience make people feel the most, like there's no hope for them, God could not ever forgive them. The first category is people who have done something to deeply wound a member of their family. A parent, a sibling, a spouse, a child. If I have deeply, desperately hurt somebody that close to me, God will never forgive me. I've heard so many people say that. 
The second category, my experience. People come to me and say, there's no hope for me because I have compromised myself sexually. Or I have compromised someone else sexually. And those things are so deep and those scars are so powerful and, and that guilt is so heavy. There's nothing can be done about it. And the third category has to do with addiction. People who have struggled with addiction over a long period of time and they've hurt lots of people in the process, they just get to a point where they feel like God can't, there's no way. I'm just giving up. Because he's surely... I'm in that category of high-handed and there's no hope for me. And on the Day of Atonement, once a year, God sends the high priest to say, don't give up. Whatever their sins have been, completely washed away. You're not in a special category of person too evil for God to forgive you. Look, at the beginning of this whole ritual, Aaron had to change his clothes and take off his normal high priest suit, which is very fancy, and put on just plain clothes. Why is he doing that? He is symbolizing something. God is using that reality to teach us something. That on this day, standing before this God, going into the throne room of that great God, we are all on equal footing. The holiest man on the face of the planet was the high priest. And the first thing God said to do on this day is change your clothes, take off the priest stuff, and put on, put on khakis. Put on cutoffs. Put on your casual wear because you're just a normal guy representing normal, ordinary people. And every person on the face of this planet needs that deep, radical cleansing Whatever their sins have been, there is nothing you have done that God cannot wash away. How's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? He does it in two ways. The first has to do with prayer. Um, Really? Prayer? Where is that? Verse 13. Aaron, when you come in to my throne room on this day when I'm going to cleanse the sins of all the people, whatever their sins have been, then I want you to bring some incense, enough incense to make a cloud over that ark, a cloud that comes between my presence and the lid of the ark, the atonement cover, the King James calls it the mercy seat. I want this cloud of incense, which in the Old Testament symbolizes prayer rising up to God. I I want somebody to pray, and those prayers come between my holiness and this lid over the ark. Now, why? why is that so important? Well, the next verse tells us. I'm sorry, the end of the verse. The smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony. Testimony? Above the copy of the Ten Commandments that is stored inside the ark. Moses, when you go down from the mountain, take these tablets and put them inside that box and put that box inside my throne room and that will be my footstool. And on the Day of Atonement, I'm going to be looking down 
looking down on that box and I will see those commandments and I will remember that this is not the first copy of those commandments that was ever made. The first copy was broken after that episode with the calf and the nakedness. I will look down and I will remember your sins. So I want you to make sure there's somebody praying. And that prayer is going to come between me and all the evil you've ever done, whatever their sins have been. And then, after that cloud representing prayer, Aaron, I want you to put blood up there. Sprinkle blood. I'm going to make blood to come between me and all the evil you've ever done. That's what the Day of Atonement is about. It's about God coming to people who are ready to give up because they feel like it was over before we even got started. There's no way I can be forgiven. I've done too many bad things for too long. I've kept too many dark secrets from too many people. I've I've wrecked too many lives. I've caused too many wounds. I've failed God in too many ways. This is God's way of saying once a year, Day of Atonement, the tenth day of the seventh month, every year. This is to be a lasting ordinance. Come do this every year. And remember, don't give up. I will make a way for you to know me. I will make a way for me to cleanse you. What does that have to do with you and me? Like we're not doing this as a lasting ordinance. Even though three times at the end of the chapter it says lasting ordinance, lasting ordinance, lasting ordinance. Do this every year until, until what? until the reality that all these things represent comes to pass. Every year, put somebody's prayers and something's blood between me and your sins until until I make an offering. In Romans chapter 3, verse 25, the Apostle Paul says that God offered his own son for us as a sacrifice. And it uses a specific word to describe that sacrifice. It describes Jesus as, well, it's the word used here in Leviticus to talk about the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. Paul is saying, Jesus has become for the world everything that that represented on the Day of Atonement. That there would be blood that could come between our failure and God's majesty. Blood that could come between death, someone's death coming between your sins, whatever they have been, and God's glory. And there would be somebody's prayers Jesus is our high priest. We talk about his intercession. It's a fancy word for praying. Jesus putting himself between us and God so that we don't have to give up. And if we lived in the desert as a tent people, then every year we would get to hear God say that over and over and over again. Don't give up. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Don't give up. 
every year. I want to show you who I am. I want to show you that I've made a way to cleanse you. I want to show you that one day I will provide the ultimate offering that will cleanse you so you can be the people I've made you to be. You can be the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, because one day I will give you another lasting ordinance to observe. Some of you are sitting here going, man, that all sounds awesome. I wish I had a tent to walk into to worship once a year. Because I'm a visual person. I, I like to see stuff. And you know, so much of Christian worship is words on a screen and words in a book and words and words and words coming out of mouths. And I'm tired of words and I want something I can see. I want to go into a tent. I want to see a dude change clothes. I want to see him drip his hands in blood and sprinkle it seven times in front of an altar. I want to see. I want to see it. It's the same God. He's just given us something new to see. The Day of Atonement was pointing forward to a sacrifice that hadn't come yet. The Lord's Supper is pointing backward to a sacrifice that already came. If you're sitting here thinking, but I'm a visual person. I want God to speak my language. God is saying, I'm speaking your language. I'm going to use just everyday realities, food and something to drink. And I know what you're like. You're people with eyes and you can tell the difference in colors and that's red. And red reminds you of blood. I speak your language. I want you to look back to the sacrifice I've already made. And every time you move your mouth and hear the crunch of this unleavened bread, I want you to remember, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Because what Jesus did was enough for you. No matter, no matter who you are. No matter what you've done. No matter how great your fear. That if you really were honest. About the evil inside your heart. God would not ever love you again. That's not true. So don't give up. 